Welcome to another episode of Inside R&E, Rosenberg and Estes' podcast. I'm Zachary Rothkin. I'm a partner at Rosenberg and Estes. I head the firm's administrative law group. Um, we specialize in rent stabilization. Of course, we're a full-service real estate firm from soup to nuts, from transactions to litigation to administrative work. Um, with me on this episode is Michael Mintz. Michael is the CEO and founder at MD Squared Property Group. He's also a good guy. He has a decade of experience in property management and has established himself as a leading manager and key investment advisor in the real estate industry. Michael has a proven track record in successfully managing buildings through major capital projects and maximizing real estate values. Under his leadership, MD Squared Property Group is recognized as one of New York City's leading property management and real estate investment firms. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Zach. I'm excited to be here. Okay, let's get started. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, the story of Michael Mintz, and how you ended up in your current role as CEO of MD Squared. Yeah, thank you for that question. So I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, and then went to University of Maryland for college. After college, um, I ended up going to work for a development firm in Northeast DC, um, overseeing construction projects. That was in late 2007, early 2008. By early 2008, the construction markets had more or less dried up. So my role switched to a property management role within that same firm. We were taking units that we had been converting to condo and converting them back to rental so that they could cash flow through that, that tough period of time. Um, once that happened, most of my friends had actually moved up to New York after college, so figured might as well come up to New York. Um, I got a position as a property manager at First Service Residential, or at the time was Cooper Square Realty, later on became First Service Residential, and kind of came up through First Service, um, learning really the infrastructure and facilities maintenance side of the business. I really, in the beginning of my career, was extremely hands-on with understanding what vendors were doing when a toilet repair was needed, when um, a boiler repair was being done, when a cooling tower was being repaired, when a roof was being replaced. We'd literally meet the vendors at the building, watch them doing what they were doing, and really understood what they were doing, um, which gave me a lot of expertise with understanding scope of work and, and pricing and, and how to make sure things were done properly. Um, while I continued to grow at first service, I ended up taking on a portfolio of, of condominiums, cooperatives and rental buildings, both stabilized and free market units. Um, and over time, um, I had really developed an expertise in rent stabilization. Um, I also, my apartment at the time, I actually found out was um, improperly deregulated. So I had actually gotten my apartment re-regulated at the time, which also led me to learn a lot more about rent stabilization. Um, in 2014 though, um, Cooper Square had been rebranded to first service as part of the corporate umbrella. Um, and for me, it just felt too corporate. Um, so at the time I looked to make a move and decided to leave and start my own shop, MD Squared Property Group. Um, and today, given the experience that we that, that I had previously in kind of a broad spectrum of multifamily real estate, um, and then my specific knowledge of rent stabilization, we've become one of the preeminent firms in New York City to handle the issues that rent stabilized landlords handle in the city. So it's interesting, Michael. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of real estate professionals and a lot of them have lots of experience like you do, but you also have experience as a tenant yourself, which is quite interesting and kind of gives you a broad, broader perspective on rent stabilization. So now you're the CEO of MD Squared. What is MD Squared? What kind of services does MD Squared provide? 
A hundred percent. And and Zach, actually building off of what you just said before, I do want to want to mention that because I do think that gives me and, and gives my firm a very interesting perspective on rent stabilization because I've really experienced it from both sides, um, experienced both bad landlords and bad landlord behavior and experienced good landlords. Um, and so I've seen it from both sides. Um, I will tell you in the early part of MD, of, of the creation and development of MD Squared, we actually did quite a bit of work um, with landlords who were looking to do development projects at buying out tenants. And I think the experiences that I had had really helped me to understand and relate to the tenants substantially more um, and really gave opportunities for, for me to build relationships where we ended up coming out with solutions that really worked for both parties and, and, and made everyone walk away feeling happy with uh, the results of the negotiations. Um, but so MD Squared is a property management firm and investment advisory firm here in the city. Um, we manage about 4,000 apartments in primarily New York City, primarily within New York City, Manhattan and Brooklyn. We do have a couple of things in the Bronx and a couple in Queens, um, but primarily we're in Manhattan and Brooklyn currently. Um, we also manage condominium buildings, cooperative buildings, um, and then as we've spoken about rent, rent, rental buildings, including rent stabilized and free market units. Um, we also um, have developed a little bit of an expertise in sponsor packages um, and managing sponsor units, working with tenants both to relocate or potentially buy them out as appropriate, um, but also managing those as you know, with, with a lot of sponsor packages, you're managing them just for very long periods of time and um, trying to give the resident the best experience possible possible while at the same time um, managing expenses for the owner of the property um, and the owner of those units. So in terms of the services that we provide, we provide a full suite of property management um, services um, from the day-to-day -day management of the building, handling um, tenant complaints, tenant repairs, staffing issues in the building, legal issues that arise. Obviously, Zach, we work in tandem on many L&T issues and, and, and other issues that arise within the building. Um, one of the things that we do that I think is pretty unique on the on the management side is we also do offer for our clients um, a full suite of services on the due diligence side. So when they're looking to purchase properties, we can help with modeling. We can help with coordinating phase ones, coordinating um, PCAs, coordinating any type of due diligence that they need. We also can assist with the lease reviews, obviously in conjunction with attorneys as appropriate. Um, and trying to quantify what any what the value is of any of any outstanding THCR risk um, or anything like that. Um, so we really try to offer to our clients the full services from, from soup to nuts of everything they would need to run their building so that we can step into their shoes and they don't need to worry about it. Um, additionally, one service that we started to offer recently is a um, leasing service where we do leasing brokerage for retail and, um, and office space. Um, we have a couple of clients who have been looking for us to, to work with them on that because they just felt that having us um, work with them would align interests more than using outside brokerage. Um, and so we also started that recently. And for us, that's been a, a, a quickly growing portion of our business. Okay. What are the, some, what are some of the key challenges you face as a property management company in New York City? So, you know, obviously things have over the years um, have become more, there's more regulation, there's more oversight, there are more rules. There's just more to contemplate anytime you're managing a building. What are some of the key challenges that you face as a property management company operating in New York? A hundred percent. And that's, that's honestly a great question because, because there's a lot of challenges that we face. Um, and I'll tell you for our managers and our team, um, they get very frustrated about it often, these challenges, because oftentimes there, there are not great solutions to them. Um, I know you mentioned, obviously, the, the compliance, the 
um, the regulatory requirements that kind of can drive up cost and expense in terms of operating, which that is a challenge that we face. It has driven up expenses and truthfully has led to us have to go to clients at certain points and have uncomfortable conversations about having to increase fees somewhat to be able to, to make sense of all of that. But I'll tell you the biggest challenge that we really have faced is New York City has put all these laws in place to protect tenants. Um, and obviously, rightfully so. There are some landlords who are bad actors and, and tenants sometimes need protections. Um, but at the same time, they have put no laws in place to protect landlords from bad tenants. Um, we have met multiple situations where we'll have tenants who are are threatening to physically assault, assault managers. We have tenants who, you know, will will cause damage in their own apartments and then call HPD to inspect just to try to get additional violations because they want a buyout or because they want something else and they can use this as leverage. The HPD inspectors aren't equipped to deal with it. So generally, if the tenant is screaming at them and this and that, they'll give a couple of violations just to make the tenant quiet down. Um, we've been there in person when the HPD inspector has told us this. Um, so, so I'll say that's one of the biggest challenging challenges because when our managers are trying extremely hard to do the right thing, treat people well and give people a good experience. And that person is just trying to be manipulative with the system to try to ultimately, um, get to try to ultimately get something more for themselves than what they, what is fair or reasonable. Um, we just feel that that has been one of the biggest challenges of the system. And, and I will say burnout for property managers is pretty high. Um, and I think a big part of that is because property managers feel they're put into situations oftentimes that they just can't can't reasonably resolve. Um, and so we've been struggling with that a lot. I'll, I'll tell you, as a company, we have a social worker that comes once a week to the office um, just to be able to talk with people about these situations and hopefully keep emotions down. Um, but it's really become quite a challenge because the city really has created a system where a city and state, obviously a lot of this is coming from the state legislature, um, but they've created a system where the tenant is in full control. And even if the tenant is knowingly doing things that are fraudulent, knowingly doing things that are illegal, um, the landlord really has absolutely no recourse. Um, and then the recourse would be, as you know, Zach, you work with us on some of these LNT matters, the recourse would be going to court. But even when you go to court, right, you're waiting three to six months to get a hearing, right? Then you get your hearing, right? Then the tenant keeps making additional motions to try to delay things. Um, and it just becomes an unwinnable game that can, we have one situation right now where we have a tenant who has been, been committing crimes in the building, selling illegal drugs in the building. And we have not been able to get them out for almost four years now. We just keep going back to court and there's just a back and forth. And um, we are hopefully getting pretty close. But uh, every time we feel like we're close, something else comes up where they find an ability to continue. the. They file an order to show cause and then they find an ability to continue the case for an extended period of time. So how do you handle those tenant related issues? You know, you, obviously you, you don't want the whole nobody wants the entire building to be filled with tenants like you were just describing. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, the laws have made it really difficult to deal with those situations. And the courts certainly, you know, uh, aren't as quick as they used to be in in helping you deal with those situations, too. So could you share some strategies uh, that you at MD Square employed to ensure that buildings are operated smoothly, um, your own workers and tenants um, are protected physically and, uh, you know, both in terms of running a smooth building. Can you share some of those strategies? A hundred percent. So, so a lot of what we do, like I said, we have this social worker that comes in. He actually both will do one-on-one -on -one sessions with individuals to talk about some of the experiences that they've been having and, and how to emotionally deescalate that. Um, additionally, um, he teaches actually some sessions that we have as, as scheduled meetings 
during his days um, on on de-escalation, conflict resolution, um, and just ways to try to help the managers cope better with the situations that they're in. Because oftentimes, if they do not take it personally, it's much easier to move past it and, and figure out what a practical solution is at the end of the day. Um, but there are, are situations, you know, there's one recently that we had with a building uptown where the residents... There was actually an activist in the neighborhood who was trying to get the residents to not give our manager access to make repairs in the units. Um, we have this manager who was working unbelievably hard to build rela a relationship with the residents. Our client bought the building a little over a year ago, um, and this manager has been working unbelievably hard to try to build relationships with the residents in the building. Um, but this community activist kept reaching out to the residents and saying, no, don't trust her. Don't let don't let her into your apartment. She wants to make, she says she wants to make repairs, but really she's going to cause damage in your apartment. Don't let her in. Um, interestingly on that one, we actually got a couple of different politicians involved. Um, so we reached out to the politicians and said, Hey, this is the story of what's going on. These are politicians who historically have been in favor of a lot of what I would say is the, the, the more progressive policies that have led to some of the mess that we're dealing with. But we explained to them the situation. I thought, I think they saw the genuineness in what we were trying to do, that we've been putting money and putting effort into trying to fix up this building. So they actually had conversations with this, this, um, this community advocate. Um, we bought donuts, bought coffee, had a morning where we showed up the build, to the building um, to try to gain access. We still weren't able to gain access to all of the units. Um, there were still definitely some tenants that were resistant. Um, but what I try to emphasize to my managers is, look, keep doing the right thing. Keep showing them that you're that that you're going to be a good person, that you're there to try to help them. Um, and eventually you'll win people over just by kindness. Um, and so I would say that that's a big part of what we do. I will say in some of the buildings, like I mentioned before, with the, the drug situation, we do utilize both technologies and the police department to help us where necessary. So most police precincts have um, what they they have a position of a a like public liaison. I forget what the exact name of the the position is, but they have a a officer within the precinct who can liaise with the public. So we've found that oftentimes calling them can help them to kind of keep a closer eye on the building. If there's a crime being committed at the time, they'll obviously come out and take a look. Oftentimes it's afterwards that you hear about it. So to your point from earlier, it is a challenge because we want to keep all the residents in the building safe and happy. And so if one resident is doing this and we obviously can't immediately go to court and force them to stop, it does become a challenge. We've also installed in many buildings some technology of cameras that do not um, identify individual people, but they could identify activities. So for example, if they see people sitting on a stairwell, right? They won't, they can't actually do, they don't have facial recognition. They can't see who the person is. So there's some anonymity, which I think makes certain tenants feel more comfortable, but at the same time, they can see that activity, activity is happening. If someone puts something in between a door to keep a door open, they can see that that door is being left open. And then we get text, text message alerts to the manager, letting them know that that happened, which allows us to jump on it quicker um, when we do need to, and it's a community affairs office. Officer, that's what they call them. So when we do need to call the community affairs officer and say, hey, can you help us with this? We can give evidence of it. Um, so all of that ends up becoming very helpful in trying to ease the situations. Um, obviously, there are challenges with some buildings not wanting any cameras around, even if they're, if they're anonymous cameras and things like that. But we have to work through them. Um, so it's, it, it is a challenge, though, because I will say the law does not help us. Oftentimes, the law does not help us. Um, the community affairs officers are great, um, but oftentimes the law does not help us. Um, and oftentimes we have to find creative ways to try to ease that tension and keep everyone calm while we work through the court process, which, like I said, can be years sometimes to ultimately get that person out and be able to to properly secure the building. 
I'd like to move on if we can to the, um, you mentioned earlier that MD Square recently opened the leasing brokerage service. Uh, can you probably no provide an overview of that service, what you've encountered so far, what it's like in the current market conditions? Yeah, so we have, we, we recently started a leasing brokerage service specifically for retail and office leasing. Um, we did it because we were finding that a lot of our vacant spaces were sitting for quite a while and it just did not seem like there was tremendous, um, I would say, strategy in terms of how to lease them. Um, additionally, we were finding that even when they were being leased, oftentimes the tenants being put in there were not the best quality of tenants. And if they defaulted on the lease, um, the landlord was left holding the bag, the broker brokers, the traditional brokers really took no responsibility for that. So when we were speaking with some of our clients, they said, look, if you guys would be willing to put up the signs, put put up the listings on LoopNet and handle the listings for us, we're happy to pay your commission, but we'd like those commissions to be split over a period of time. So if the tenant's moving in, you know, if it's a five-year lease, we'll split that commission over two years or three years or whatever it is so that um, our interests are more aligned with the landlord. If that tenant defaults within the first two or three years, we don't get the remainder of that commission. Um, and so we've set up the structure with a couple of our landlords. We've been doing it quite a bit. Like I said, it's been growing quite nicely. Um, and we feel that our landlords just feel our interests are much more aligned with them. We have a full-time um, broker in-house who handles the side of the business. Um, and for us, it's just been a great area of growth and, and has been something where we've been able to fill a need of our clients. What kind of factors do you consider when you're determining the optimal lease terms and conditions for your clients in New York City? On the commercial leases? Yeah. So oftentimes it will be about the the financials of the company, the who who is whether it's a personal guarantee, a corporate guarantee, kind of what the guarantee is. Um, we'll we'll consider all those factors when determining the length of the lease. In general, we would like the longest lease term possible. Um, there are certain situations where, for example, there might be a building that might be a development site in the future, so we want some op optionality there or things like that. But I'd say for the most part, we try to get the longest term that we can get, um, just because obviously it gives some some surety, um, subject to the the qualifications of the tenant. Okay, and you know, obviously things change pretty quickly, uh, seems much more quickly than they did even a few years ago. H how do you stay up to date with the current real estate market conditions, including the rental rates, vacancy late, uh, rates, lease trends? Um, things just ha seem to be happening so quickly. How do you stay up to date with that? hundred percent. So, so look, there's quite a bit of data that comes out through the different periodicals, whether it's the real deal, whether it's commercial observer, whether it's Rebney putting things out, chip, putting things out, RSA, putting things out. Um, there's quite a bit of data that's available out there. So definitely I try to keep up and, and, and read the publications that are put out. Um, but I will say more than anything, listening to my managers, listening to the brokers we work with, whether it's our in-house broker or our outside brokers that we work with on the residential leasing. Um, you know, most of them have a lot of feedback from the ground. Also looking at data, from our portfolio, how many applications have come in on rental apartments, on the condo and co-op side, right? How many applications to purchase units have come in? Um, we also track sales pricing in units and, and whether the sales pricing has gone up or down. So I'd say we, we have quite a few data points, but oftentimes listening to people, and it, it's actually interesting, this question is making me think about this right now. I believe strongly that brokers do a much better job at pricing units than, for example, some of the the analytical tools that you can engage that will price units for you through through artificial intelligence, right? And there's quite a few of those tools out there that mm -hmm. take data and then they'll tell you, okay, this is how you should price this apartment. I've always found brokers do a much better job of pricing units. And it's not something that you can easily, um, 
I, I guess, qualify what that is that makes them so much better at it. Um, but they just are much better at it than these system than these these computer systems. Um, and I think a lot of it is they're just closer to the ground in real time. They can make those assessments and say, hey, this is the feedback that I'm getting. This person is willing to pay a little bit more here because they really want to be in this neighborhood or people aren't willing to pay because they will consider the Upper East Side or the Lower East Side. Um, and so that data tends to be pretty valuable in terms of making sure we're really pricing units properly. Yeah, yeah. you heard it here first. Michael Mintz prefers the human brain to artificial intelligence. <laughs> now, Michael, before I know you told some good stories and property management world. Uh, I'm wondering if you can share some good stories or anecdotes with us involving your lease negotiations or transactions. Uh, give your viewers kind of a taste of uh, the exciting life of um, MD squared in the leasing and transactional world. That sounds great. Um, thank you for that question. So one example that I'll give of something recently that that a transaction that recently occurred that that I was very proud of my team for. Um, so we have a building that we had taken over as part of the acquisition of another management company um, down in the East Village. Um, there had been a tenant, a retail tenant in one of the spaces for quite a while who hadn't been paying rent, but the owner was very worried about getting that tenant out and if they'd find someone new. Um, given our infrastructure now that we have internally of having a retail broker internally, they were able to give the owner some intel about who we thought we could find afterwards. They, we helped them to get the tenant out who was not paying rent um, and then ultimately marketed the space. We brought in a new tenant on a 11-year lease for the space, pay, paying about 10 times the rent that the old tenant was supposed to pay who was not paying. Um, and we actually got an email afterwards from the owner, and this is what she wrote in her email. Um, I think the transition from the old management company to MD Squared has been very smooth. My plan was to optimize the building and sell it, but you're doing such a great job that I may keep it now. Um, and so that one, that one made me really, really proud. Um, that was both our manager, Michael Moynian, um, and then Jake Rosen, who was the leasing broker. They both worked on that and honestly did a, did a really great job. Um, so I was really proud of that one. Um, there was another one recently in Midtown West. There was a space um, that actually we represented the tenant on. Um, and this was um, about a 5,000 square foot um, office lease that we represented the tenant on. This came through um, one of our clients had referred someone to us on this. Um, and this was a challenging um, deal given that the owner of the building had a lot of moving parts. They actually tried switching the suite three times that they were gonna put this tenant in. Um, and Jake in our office, um, who is the broker, was able to keep this deal alive and work with the tenant and, and figure out some concessions with the landlord to make it worthwhile for both the tenant and the landlord to move this tenant to the suite that the landlord ultimately wanted to put them in. Um, this deal actually, the leases were just signed um, a little over a week ago on this one. And this was another one that Jake worked pretty hard to keep alive, um, but really, the tenant has been very happy and, and and it seems like everyone walked away happy with this deal oh, great look at you know in the in the how long ago did you start this lease broker, brokerage service so we started it right around january um so it's been about six months okay that short time looks like you have some you've really seen some success there so you know we wish you the best of luck with that um michael what what kind of advice would you give to landlords or commercial tenants in new york who are seeking leasing brokerage services what should they be looking for yeah, so so what I would say is you obviously want a broker that you're going to work well with, a broker who's going to be transparent. I will say that that historically my experience with brokers is oftentimes they will promise you everything um, and then when it comes to it, they can't deliver on most of that. 
Um, I find that meeting, finding a broker and, and working with a broker who really will be upfront and give you a true assessment of the market is, is extremely important to set expectations right. Um, the other thing that I would say is be realistic yourself as a landlord. If you get a deal and it seems like the terms are close enough to what you want, um, in general, you will not find a perfect tenant, um, but you could find a tenant that's a good tenant. And so I think be realistic. Um, like I said, the other thing that we got requests from from many of our clients and we are now doing is we are spreading out our our commissions over a period of time throughout the lease and we will take risk along with the landlord where if the tenant defaults we do not get paid any more of that commission um, and I think coming up with creative ways to align incentives between brokers and landlords is something that that really is good for everyone okay Michael we thank you for coming on this episode um, if anyone would like to get in touch with you what's the best contact so you can either call me. My office number is 212-518-2690 or email me at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at MD2PG.com. That's Michael at M as in M as in Michael, D as in Dawn, the number two, P as in property, G as in group.com. And we're going to put the your contact information in the info for our podcast as well. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you and hope we could do this again. Excellent. And Zach, before we jump off, I do just want to say that that we've been working with, with you and your team for quite a while now. Um, and in terms of knowledge and expertise and rent stabilization, if I need to get kind of a quick answer to, to what my exposure is or how things work, you guys are amazing at that. Um, so I do also want to make sure to give a shout out to, to your guys' services and what you guys do, because you guys have been amazing to work with. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate that. And likewise, we appreciate working with you very much as well. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Michael.